Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find all your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors, well, they might provide that roadmap for your journey. On most Thursdays, I am blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Normally on the first Thursday of the month, it's Alan Fox. The second Thursday, which of course is today, we have the great Coach Chuck Greasy on. The third Thursday is Dr. John Murray. The fourth Thursday is either Coach Scott Williams or Energy Coach Linda LeClaire. And sometimes we are blessed because she brings her husband, Dr. Bryce Young, with her. And on those occasional fifth Thursdays, well, who knows? Over the last three years, we have been blessed to have people like Coach Scott Engie, Ashley Hobson, college coaches and high school coaches from throughout the country, USTA officials, PTR and USPTA executive directors, and the Florida Tennis founder and editor of the Florida Tennis Magazine, Jim Martz. Of course, the nice thing about Blog Talk Radio and the Yellow Ball Network is that you can listen at any time you choose to the broadcast. On Wednesday, Chuck Greasy is on, and then now on Sundays, we have Coach's Corner with Randy Blumenthal. So if you're listening to American Tennis or uh, Coach's Corner, and you can listen whenever you want to. I would like to thank the Yellow Balls CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, well, you're missing out on some useful information. And because I believe Dr. King when he said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis. And as you noticed, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started doing that prior to the broadcast rather than at the end because I do listen to your suggestions. But uh, naturally, you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and colleges. And who knows? Together, we may wake up that sleeping giant high school tennis. Besides our weekly conversation, the Almighty Willing, you will also be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I have previously expressed, if you disagree, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca.att.net. Who knows? You may read your views in Florida Tennis or hear them on one of our Coach Denise uh, Sharon Tennis Blessings broadcast. It would not be the first time that's happened. I'd ask you to remember, if someone has taken the last issue of Florida Tennis from your pro shop, you can always see the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennis.com or in between uh, issues, you might find some of Jim uh, Marx's or my articles, uh, as well as other information in Facebook at FL Tennis. So uh, I think that uh, this issue, by the way, is now out, uh, my second uh, of the three-part article on uh, Coach Denise uh, change and risky and necessary. I forgot what my uh, article was about, truthfully, but that's all right. I do see uh, our mentor today, Coach Chuck Reese, on. I will get to him in probably a minute and a half, I promise you. Okay, today's commentary, I'm going to truthfully just be primarily answering your questions that I've received. Uh, First, yes, 
My June 7th commentary referring to Supreme Court Justice White gave a hint of how old I am, but truthfully, I never tried to hide that I'm older than most of of you out there. Those listening to Coach Denise exploring tennis blessings for the past three years know that the broadcast existence was not because of my own voice. On some Black Talk Radio broadcasts, the 714 call-in number is for questions and for listeners. On mine, unfortunately, it is not. So I appreciate those of you listening in uh, that way, and I sometimes do too. But, and, of course, on the, some of the Yellow Ball Network broadcasts, Chuck Greasy and Randy Blumenthal, Use 714-583-6853 to take questions in some of their broadcasts. But because I'm late getting into the 21st century, I respond by email. I do see your calls and appreciate those of you who would rather call and listen live rather than listen at another time. I, too, occasionally will call live to uh, Chuck's broadcast uh, if I'm in the car or something. uh, time is a precious commodity, and I'll call in just to listen. I just said before about Florida Tennis Magazine is out. Yes, the June and July issue of Florida Tennis Magazine is now out, and my part two or three piece article, Changes Risky and Necessary, has already produced negative and positive remarks. I am pleased that many of the comments I received agree with the suggestions that Chuck Greasy, myself, and others have. And while I have a hard time digesting those arguments that the USTA and other organizations won't listen to these suggestions, I am only disappointed that I am not receiving more suggestions rather than why we won't change things. While earlier admitting of being older than many, I did not admit to being old. The value of being older and enjoying the blessings of our country is remembering we have a history of producing positive change. As I tried to explain in my developing a trinity of thinking commentary a couple of weeks ago, respecting and examining the past and being strong enough to express those views are not for the faint of heart. But they are needed. You have often heard me say that the sport journey reflects life's journey, and I cannot help but to think of Plato's question. If you do not take, and quote um, um, now, if you do not take an interest in the affairs of your government, then you are doomed to live under the rules of fools. End of quote. While America needs to adhere to its principle of freedom, it needs to coexist with the rest of the world. Tennis is also in the same position of protecting our great game while coexisting with the rest of the world. Yes, we need to respect those playing the game in other nations, but we need to remember those that produced the foundation of American tennis. Recently, when trying to reproduce a a program we did for middle and high schools after school tennis in the Constitution, excuse me, I was shown one of the books used, A Miracle That Changed the World, and remembered that I am getting older, but I am not ready to be old. Now is not the time to give up on tennis or our freedom and values. It is time to remember that we are standing on the shoulders of others. Almost 250 years ago, our forefathers took a 5,000-year leap with the principles of freedom and self-governance. I plead guilty to the charge of being a dreamer, but I reject the premises that America is no, can no longer produce people that produce standards of excellence for tennis, or for life. The almighty willing, I am looking to become much older and respect while it might be a bumpy journey, it will be a worthwhile journey. And if we remember who we are and be willing to 
defend those principles, tennis will be great again in America, and our country uh, will remain that great country that is, gave us freedom. And remember that uh, freedom is what for individuals producing. We are no longer people that are dictated to. Unfortunately, there's still some parts of the world that is that way. We've been blessed not to uh, be that way for over 250 years, and I suspect someday we'll change the rest of the world. Our our author today of tennis, uh, coaching tennis, uh, and the great coach of over 40 years in college, and Truthfully, uh, one of the people that I've written in Florida Tennis about is being, I consider a mentor, one of those people that I lean on when I move from the basketball uh, journey to the tennis journey is Coach Chuck Greasy. And, Coach, I see you there now. How are you today? Uh, I'm fine. I hope you can hear me okay. And I'm sorry to say, probably within 30 minutes, I'm going to be going through the mountains. We might get cut off, so maybe we need to get on here. I'm just afraid we're heading to Tennessee with my family. So, um, you know, I'm hoping I don't get cut off. But but uh, we'll do the best we can. Well, why don't we start with you doing uh, most of the talking. I, in one of my previous articles, I talk about the importance of listening. Uh, I've, I've, as you heard my commentary today, I think we have to remember our history. Uh, I didn't listen to your broadcast uh, yesterday, but I saw who your guest was. I will listen to it later on today, but maybe you could talk about that or t- or maybe even more important. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be yeah, great. Yeah, where we come that'd, that'd from in tennis. Start. That'd be a great place to start. I had Javier Plank on uh, yesterday, and uh, let me tell you, anybody that's on We Coach Tennis, are they uh, some of the websites you have seen his articles, his blog articles, his articles. He's done two videos, but um, folks go there and listen and watch what Javier's put up. And when I saw it, I go, whoa, this guy is, he's sort of, he's the wrecking ball political correctness in tennis, that's for sure. He is just flat out after it with uh, getting after the USTA and getting after organized tennis. He's very upset with um, many of the things that are happening, as some of us are, but for whatever reason, we have not been able to be effective in influencing um, the USTA to do anything differently at all. It's like trying to, I think, turn to Titanic. Um, you know, you, you, you can't make any difference, even if you have great ideas. And, and I'm talking very good coaches that I've talked to, made suggestions and things. But the problem, John, is a bureaucracy – has a life of its own, and you have very good people functioning in a bureaucracy, but if you live on the fringe in the bureaucracy and you push the edge of the envelope, they'll either get rid of you or it's going to run you over, but it's got its own life. And I'm afraid to say that USTA is excellent at going between 55 and 63 miles an hour. Now, Javier, I had him on there, and this is what I'd like to get to, is that the reason I had him on, and he's really, really pushing 80, 90 miles an hour, and um, it's just because he's so different and he's not afraid to speak, stand up and speak out. He just says what he wants to say. And so I called him. I just found his phone number, and I called him, and I've talked to him five or six times at length, and I just said, hey, come on my radio show, and he did it yesterday. Um Again, it's uh, American Tennis. Just go to American Tennis, Blog Talk Radio. Or go to my website, chuckcreasy.net, K-R-I-E-S-E, Creasy, chuckcreasy.net. And um, go to the website, and you can get his program. But 
he was excellent yesterday as he gave some situations that we're all aware of and some of most of us are very frustrated about, but he also gave some great solutions. And maybe I could go into that just briefly. And then before I, we get cut off here, I hope we don't get cut off too soon, but before we get cut off, I'd like to give a few ideas of what I've been thinking about too. And let me start by saying go ahead. I'm very frustrated as anybody is trying to make any difference in our sport of tennis that that people are not standing up and speaking out and people are not that it, it's it's really funny John like uh old people over 60s we can call old people over 60s so your senior Older citizens, people. they're just packing it in. They're John, they're packed it in. It's sort of, sort of I, I hate to say this, but I went out to that place called the, what was it, the Villages uh, a couple weeks ago, and I've never seen anything like it. They've got 110,000 people. They're just having a good time, and they've all packed it in. It's like they're teenagers or something again. And they're not fighting anything. Once you get older, you say, oh, I've fought my fights. Well, isn't that a shame because the older people are the people with all the experience. They're the people with the wisdom. And what in every other culture, they are respected. But in our culture, we pack them out. You know, we load them up, pack them out, and put them out to pasture. And so that's what's happening there. Younger people, like, oh, gosh, under 30s, they're like nearly scared nilly willies i mean it's really amazing how they're scared of their own shadow these the millennial age yeah i don't want to go off on the millennial thing but my golly everybody's scared of their shadow they want they want to fit in they want to oh they don't want to make waves oh they're so afraid somebody is going to dislike them or something it's just like my golly if you're under 30 I tell people, if you're under 30 and you're not starting to stand up and speak out for things, it's not like you're going to wake up at age 40 and say, okay, it's time to be principled now. You can't do that. And then, of course, the middle-aged people, John, they've got the golden handcuffs on. But I think that bureaucracies exist for long periods of time because they sort of hide. They, they're, we're, they become excellent at shooting for the middle. And that's probably the most frustrating thing. So I had Javier on, and I asked him, I said, Javier, at the end of it, I said, Javier, what are the, if you're, let's say you're in charge of United States tennis. For five years, you have a no-cut contract, You're going to, and after five years, you're done. You're going to serve five-year term, and you can do anything you want to do. What would you do? And here he gave these five things that are fantastic. And all of you out there listening, Think of these things about how these could be great, great improvements because the guy is brilliant. And um, I told, I wanted to tell you all this, so I told him, I said, hey, man, always remember that a squeaky wheel gets the oil, but if it squeaks too loud, it gets removed. You can't be, you've got, <laughs> you know, but he gets frustrated because people aren't listening. But here's what he said. Number one, he said, you know, the USDA is a nonprofit organization they need to take the profile of what a nonprofit organization does in that they should only use 30% of their money for staffing, for, for operations, for the facilities, and all the 70% of a nonprofit should go to the, the people, the kids, programs out there, and, and all these things they do. And if, if I, I would eat my hat, if uh, even a sweaty hat that's old, the 10 years old, if they were giving 70% of their money to uh, to, organi- to kids and, and different and to parks and to, to promote tennis out there, I guarantee it's probably 60 or 70, 60, 40 or 70, 30 goes towards operations and staffing and salaries. I mean, it's uh, we all know that golly, the amount of money they're making is, is just unbelievable. Javier has a great article that he even figured out how much money is coming through there and where it's going and all that. And I don't care if they were 
the tennis was vibrant, it wouldn't bother me. But I don't know if you could do a worse job in trying to get some things to stick. But this guy, then he brought up number two, high school and small town tennis. Isn't that familiar? John, we've talked about that several times. (laughs) You know, high school and small town tennis, because high schools have the infrastructure. But you know what he said? He said it's laughable. It's a joke how it's so non-competitive. The minute that they went to this no-cut tennis deal, and, you know, it became an after-school activity, it became like the chess club or it became like the drama club or something. It's not even a sport. So, therefore, who does it inspire? Uh, The number three thing he said, okay, well, we also need incentives through events. And, of course, incentives for education in our sport, there's got to be some incentives to want to be a teacher. And uh, if you've heard my commentary on Small Town Tennis USA, the program that I have had a satellite program three years ago, and the idea is in place. I just need some money to get it off the ground, folks. If I could get Small Town Tennis off the ground. But here's the deal on that thing. We could use high college kids that are not going to play pro tennis, and, John, we could put them in all these small communities around the country of less than 50,000 people and cut them loose and said, you're in charge, Bubba. You're in charge there, Susie. Go out, and you're in charge of that whole town. Make it work. They get a couple hundred bucks a week, and uh, you maybe have them certified through the PTR, and you're off and running. Now, you've done two things. You've, you've motivated a bunch of kids in small-town tennis to get tennis, to, to play tennis. But then on top of that, you've got yourself a doggone, very promising pro for life, for life. Many of us had that situation coming up, maybe getting to teach a little bit through the park department and things when we were younger. Number four, he said, look, we got to adopt the UTR said the, the the ranking system is done. The UTR is the way to go, folks. The UTR is the wave of the future. The USTA has mucked up the rankings and all this with the points system is just atrocious. How could you be so non-inspiring as to have this point system? Kids do not play for points. They play for tournaments of heritage and rivalries. And ratings will get them excited to play. And you can, here's the best thing about the UTR. I was able to talk to the originator, the creator of the UTR for an hour on Sunday. And I said, God bless you, because what you've done is you've given everybody freedom again. We have freedom to innovate, freedom to run what kind of tournaments you want to run, Freedom to go out and have girls, boys, old people, young people all play in this UTR together. It's like we have tennis co-ops around the country. We have to do it that way because otherwise the antiquated way of segregating kids by age and by gender is absolutely the worst possible way to spread the game. It's the worst possible way. So, so number one was, again, 3070, staffing versus public. Number two was high school and small-town tennis. Number three was incentives through events and education. Number four was adopt UTR. You know what he said about number five? He said, everybody contributes. He said, it's up to us. We've brought this on ourselves. We uh, need to stand up, speak out. We need to come on. We've got all these people out in the community, and you you older folks over 60, get up off the couch, turn off the TV, and get out and teach some kids tennis. What the heck are you thinking? You know, you don't – I liked what our president said. He said, when you retire, you're going to soon expire. And it it, who you know, and guys, we need the wisdom of the older people. Go down to your park, help some kids, get three or four kids. You old people have played tennis. Let's get it rolling, man. I mean, uh, I hope I die with my boots on one day. I'll kill over on the tennis courts, John. But that was he said. Look, all of us need to be involved. And then here was something interesting, very very interesting that he that that he said. 
you know, he said, we're, we're doing a very great job at being average. And he said, it, it, it's basically people are dabbling. They're not really jumping in and becoming involved. And the last thing I want to say, and I want to elaborate on this, and I want to ask where you want to go with this, John. But my wife just told me something, and I told her, come on, honey, get on the radio here. You can talk. But she said, you know what? She calls me Charlie. I love she calls me Charlie. She says, Charlie, they have completely taken the art out of tennis. The art has been taken out of the game of tennis. Now, John, she is right on the button. She said, look, nobody, you know, they have these skateboard contests. Well, what the heck are they doing with that skateboarding and, and things? And it, it has, you know, it's not the competition. People are mesmerized by the art of it. And it says, and he said that people, whether whatever you're doing, there's the artistic intrinsic value of it, and then there's a competitive thing. What we did in about 19, late 70s, early 80s, we turned over tennis to the marketeers. Started up Prince Rackets, Head Rackets, and all those guys, they started marketing, making it easier to do. You make it easy to pick up, what, John? You make it easy to put down. Harder to pick up is harder to put down. I got to hit for 40 minutes today with a wood racket that's 40 years old on red clay, and I got a buzz from hitting the ball like nobody's business. That, Other than hugging my children and grandchildren, I don't know if there's a better buzz that you get in life than hitting a ball. Now, what we did, we allowed the marketeers to take over. Did they go after artistic values of the game? No. They went after performance. So what they did with the high-tech rackets, they made the symmetry, the beautiful symmetry that we had in the game, went away. In the days of the Rod Lavers and the Ken Rosewalls and the Stan Smiths and the Ilya Nastasis, it used to take four seconds for the ball to go to your opponent and come back at the highest level. Now it's 2.1 seconds. So what has happened is ball striking has overcome movement. So if you had aluminum bats in the professional ranks in baseball, this is what you would have. You'd have 15 home runs in, every, in the stands. Nobody would care. And a lot of our sports are getting that. I think basketball is just ridiculously boring. There's no heart in it anymore. Uh, with the, they need to do something. Your old basketball coach, John, they need to make the rim smaller or put it to 12 feet. Let's see who could you know, let's see who could make uh, six passes before you shoot. And it's just ridiculous. The athleticism has overcome the art. But my wife said, I don't like watching tennis anymore because there's no art to it. It used to be a beautiful symmetrical game. So that was quite interesting, John. And I. In case we get cut off, I wanted you to at least, that's the gist of everything, and then we can go from there. So where would you like to go? I don't want to get cut off here. but uh, well, well, I think about when, uh, you know, I hear a lot of complaints about tennis, you know, being a country club game. But, you know, as a kid in the 50s when I was, uh, a caddy in a golf club, I started hitting the ball, uh, you know, at the country club uh, when I was in caddying. And then in the 60s when I left the Marine yeah. Corps, there was courts that were out there, and I thought it was great cross-training for uh, basketball. So I got involved and started volunteering at that time, uh, selfishly because I wanted to keep my basketball well, John, players. John. John, look, it's okay that it was a club. All of the history of it, what happened, was in the 60s, 50s, and 60s, the clubs are where you learn to play tennis. It's where you learn to maybe play croquet. It's where you did golf. It's where you did swim. I mean, that's what it was an elite sport, which is fantastic. And guess what? Some of us went to the public parks, and we were introduced to it. I was not introduced to the competitive part of it. I was introduced to it because it was so hard. And, sure, the basketball coach says, wow, great, great cross-training sport for basketball. But the point being is that, John, the country clubs 
were critical because that's where all your professionals were at, and that was the they were sort of the uh, what do you want the caretakers of the game. All right, so what happened? We got a little too smart for ourselves. Now, yes, they had NJTL programs and things, and we exposed tennis to the common people. And we put it in parking lots, and we put it concrete courts and some fence nets. And, okay, it had its appeal. All of a sudden, we could play tennis. We didn't have to play at the country club. So for a while, it got really rolling there in the early 70s, mid-70s, with the tennis boom. And a lot of it had to do with the champions we had out there. I mean, we had some really colorful players and champions and if you remember, Open Tennis started in 69, and I remember just watching Rodney, Rod, uh, Rod Laver, the Rocket, and Ken Rosewall, and all of these guys, and, and, and it was a fantastic thing. So what happened? We had a, one fella figured out that he could go up north and convince some players to come from up north down to Florida and he started his own tennis academy. All right, so then another one, and then another one, and then another one. Where did the place, you guys down there in Florida, the place now, you've got so many academies. If you walk into a daggone, you know, 7-Eleven, five of the people in there are saying that they train Serena in, in Venus. You know, it, it's it's just unbelievable how these academies, these academies, has sprung up everywhere, and, well, the point that I saw immediately happen was that with the academies, they picked the ripest fruit from every town in America. Like in Louisville, Kentucky, I mean, golly, there was uh, some brothers that were fantastic players that – and in Indianapolis, we had a guy named Chuck DeVoe. In St. Louis, we had a guy. Well, the McKinleys came out of St. Louis. You had these people that all were sort of prime people in their area. The Cooper brothers, they were in Louisville, Kentucky, the Cooper brothers. But from all these areas, and then they'd come together five or six times a year and play national events. And, oh, my golly, that was something else, but what they figured out with the academies, they picked the ripest fruit from these towns, and they what they did was they stripped these towns of the role models. So I really believe that immediately the infrastructure of tennis in every community around the country got worse. Uh, it, it got very it got mediocre. So if you wanted to be a player, you had to go to these academies. Now, the saving grace during the time, John, was college tennis because college tennis, you could go to college tennis and become one of the greatest players in the world because of the competition in college. I mean, you would have a Dennis Ralston win the NCAAs at Southern Cal, and he flew to Wimbledon, and I think he got to the finals of doubles of Wimbledon after winning the NCAAs. You had the McKinley's. Chuck McKinley, Bob McKinley, they played at Trinity. And then Chuck McKinley ended up winning Wimbledon. And then you had, I mean, but every good player went to college in the United States. Every good player went to college. Now, college has been diluted, polluted, and it, no, diluted, what what should I say? The Diluted with matches being taken away. You can't, you don't even practice Golly, it's it's disgusting. You play 20 hours a week, 24 weeks a year, and you could not be, you can't be an but an average player going to college, and then diluted and then polluted, polluted the marketing and everything that they've given everybody for free, and the, uh, you know, and, and and the bottom line on the thing is that college is just a shell of what it once was as far as player development. So that's really hurting. I hate to be just a naysayer. It could be so much better, but we've got to get some leadership to where somebody knows what the heck is going on and has a scope of what has been happening. I'd like to see someone like Wayne Bryan in the USTA and just say, okay, you are the grand czar of the USTA for three years. 
I guarantee you he'd make stuff happen. He'd get it done. Our we need we've got so many good tennis minds out there, but we're definitely in trouble. Golly, and, and uh it's 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 hurting right now, John. The it was something I went to that villages to see my friend's father about three weeks ago. I could not believe about 70, 80 people out there playing pickleball. And I said, what do they do? Well, they're just standing there popping a hard ball back and forth. There's nothing to it, nothing. But they're out, they're on their feet doing something, and there was only two people playing tennis. We got to take that game. We got to take that back. I'm not against pickleball. Play pickleball if you want to. The tennis has five times the dimensions, but not without the artistic value of the thing, not without the art of it. So, anyhow, so, uh, all right, John. Well, I agree with about 90% of what you said, and even though I'm from Connecticut originally, maybe I've been in Florida for so long now, going uh, 35 years, I guess, but uh, I can't take, I have to respectfully disagree with you with the blame of uh, tennis in Florida and the academies. Because I do, life is not fair as far as there's always an advantage for people that have the money and they can afford to go out and uh, do okay. things. I have kids well, in baseball, my grandkids, my daughter is in Maryland this weekend. Um, and she's from she's in Connecticut, but they'll be at the weekend in Maryland, uh, and they so spend a there. fortune on baseball. So you know, small, and they come from a small town in Connecticut, and they have a, a baseball coach who I know personally and I respect, and he's come up through the system, and he's come up, how, how you know, volunteering in a small town. But some people are going to have more advantages than others. Uh, I disagree hey, with you that academies are problems. I think the problems is much bigger than that. John, John, so the, here you're saying that the academies, they have not taken the ripest fruit from, you know, they, they, you're, you're saying that they have helped tennis in the U.S., well, yeah. I think why, they're why part of the history they? of it, but I think many of the people that come to these academies come in and live. Other people have gone. Uh, the Williams sisters now live here, but they they were in California for a long time. They go back to California. They're part of California. They got a break go. because of the academies. Uh, not, not taking nothing away from their father, but... He admitted at one time uh, at a PTR convention that he wasn't the coach of the year that he owed it, you know, to other people. So Would you I, I ever just think we can't, we, we can't, gun. you know, worry about people that can afford it. My daughter is blessed that they can afford to do that, and they spend a lot more money than a lot of tennis players do. And the kids, one of them is already going to college. The other one, he's, okay. there's a dozen colleges already offered him scholarships. But he's done a lot of traveling. Well, how much money has he spent? Look, baseball, I'm thrilled. My son's in baseball, but now he's 12. It's going to get tougher and tougher. But we spend yep. less than $1,000 a year on baseball, and he gets to play 60 or 70 games he got to play five baseball games two days the other day, played two on Saturday, three on Sunday. Yeah, and it wasn't too hard for the 12 years old. Nobody cried, ran home. Nobody came out there and said, oh, my gosh, it's too hard. It's disgusting how we have dumbed down tennis. It is not even close to the amount of competition my son's getting to play for a Kids are look. We're a lot of parents are paying a thousand. I agree with that a hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more okay. on that. But they're two separate issues, and that's why we need conversation back and forth, and we need more people yep. to get involved in the conversation. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. You know, John, it's it's, and that's exactly the point. The point is is that unless we have the conversations, nothing's going to happen. 
unless we have the conversations, this is going to dry up. Because, mm-hmm. listen, as my wife said, as I already brought out, the artistic tennis is, is been lost and is being lost. So if you just go for the competition part of it, you have very few people now working for mastery in tennis. You have them working for success. You have them working for success and not mastery. There's a big difference. You can take no the competition question. out of it, and if it's an artistic. Can you hear me okay? I've got yes, back and I couldn't here. agree with you more. I can hear you loud and clear, I, and I agree with you 100% on that. Well, it, it, uh, so we've got to figure that one out. And, again, you know how we could do that? We could do that wood racket tournaments. I think that they absolutely should decide on a certain type of racket for the kids to play. Do you know that when I teach young kids, I love to give them a light old wood racket and they get addicted to hitting the ball. They fall in love with hitting the ball. When we give them those high-tech rackets, they they get bored of it very, very fast. And we should have professional players and kids starting out should have to use a smaller racket. And I think we could bring the art back into the game. Now, they tried to do it with this 10 and under tennis stuff, but, you know, that's fallen on its face because it's they, the kids don't want to play kitty tennis. They don't want to play kitty tennis. And then uh, the other thing about it is that adults, the, the adults, yes, the high-tech stuff helped women's tennis, you know, 3.5 leagues and, Leagues after 50, it, ha- it helped the older guys to keep more balls in the court. But it really, we've got to bring the art back. I, I, I'm 100%, if we don't bring the art back, we're going to lose our game. Well, and I think that's the reason that we need, and that's why you know, I joined your group, because I think we need that discussion. And I believe we've got to sit up and go out and listen to each other. I'm, like I said, I'm not convinced yet that uh, the USTA and the NCAA and these groups, uh, you know, I think a lot of them are just are good people that are just so heavily influenced. We look at what's happened in our no, country. Good people in a bureaucracy is what's happening. John, let me ask you right. this real quick off the top of my head. You live close there to Lake Nona. Are they? I do. Uh, I've been up there those courts, quite a few times. Is that is the, are those courts crowded? Or are they pretty much empty? Well, they're crowded. There's something. I mean, they're they're extremely crowded. But I mean, you know, okay, and again, I'm without is, events, would you say that they have? Okay, how many courts they have? Fifty? Uh, no, they have a hundred. How many of those courts are being used every day, do you think? Oh, I – you mean not not counting, the, you know, the player development and not counting the – I mean, some Correct. of them are designated Correct. for college play. Some of them are des- – some of them are the USTA's running program. But every well, time I've been there, all the courts have been tied up. Well, that's great. That's great news. I'm hoping that continues. And we want that to continue. I, I don't know if the answer is these big mega complexes for people to go to. Um, you know, it's really interesting, Atlanta, really, and Dallas. I think those were the two places where tennis did the better than anywhere else, John. And um, yep. there was a lot. The people, those guys that set up Alta did a fantastic job. And all of the communities and things developed their own teams and stuff. It was based a lot on competition, but everybody got involved in tennis and in Alta. And uh, but it was beautiful the model that they set up. Fantastic. And I think Dallas is very, yeah, it's fantastic, vibrant. What do you think happened in Florida? Do you think it's just that Florida became too transient? Too many people in well, and out. No, no, because I mean, Florida is just—you know—you got to remember now. We're, as bad as we are, we're still the fastest-growing state in the union now. We're 
We're growing faster than Texas, and Texas are getting all the people moving from California because they don't want to pay the taxes. We're getting the people moving from other right. parts of the country. Right. But we're no longer transit. That was a big part of us. Of it, but I mean, yeah, a, a lot of it go. is, a lot of it is, you know, marketing is not all bad word. I mean, you were in Orlando, you pay less for gas in Orlando than we do here where right. I live because the taxes are less because they're getting that more people go to Orlando than any place else in the world, and yeah. they're trying to show you how cheap it is. Well, once you move out of Orlando. Yeah. And if you buy gas, you're going to pay a hell of a lot more for it. So marketing has some value. The problem is there's a lot of negative. If you, once you move to Florida, you find out, whoa, geez, my property taxes are a little bit more than I expected. Well, it's not what it was in the 70s. Hey, John, uh, I'm getting ready to go down through a valley, so if I lose you, I apologize. Apologize to the listeners. I appreciate so much your show. And I can say all that right now, and uh, I look forward to whatever. And uh, but let's see where we can go from here. What else, John? Do you have anything else you'd like for me to comment on? I think. Well, I think the thing that uh, I think what we have open, and we all get impatient at time, and especially, you know, that's not one of my great things because uh, because of my age. I'm always wondering how much time the Almighty's going to give me to keep going, and I'm just not ready to sit down and do anything, but I want to see things. But I do think that the message is getting out. Like I said, I had some people with the article that came out this week in Florida Tennis. Some people like it. Some people tell them that I've got people that tell me they know what the third part of the article is. Well, I have about 100 pieces of paper on my desk. I haven't put the third part together yet, so they probably know the direction I'm going, but they don't know the article because I haven't read it yet. I will do do it, but what I am concerned about, like you, there's not enough people saying why. You know, you have to. Uh, we That's have to right. get to the right questions. And when I was doing some writing in Connecticut and the sports for a little paper that. I said, I don't know how to write. Well, you get this five questions, who, what, why, when, and where. And then when I started doing that, the guy said, well, let's start with the why question from now on. So we had to not be afraid to say, why yeah. is this going this way? And why aren't we not getting better results? I, I, when we hang up, I'm going to listen to your show tonight because I talked to him, Javier, before, too, but I'm really anxious to hear what he has to say. Well, you need to have him on. The guy is very, very smart. He's very smart, and he's got some great ideas. He just needs a platform to get out there, and then we do need people to stand up and speak out. Let's get ideas on the table. And, look, if I only agree with 50% of you, let's agree on that 50%. We can find our common ground. That's right. why it's hurting us so badly right now in tennis. We have a group in down there, the USTA, that pushes its way around, and the audacity, the arrogance to change the structure of our game. How dare them change the game and the structure after 145 years? What gives those marketeers the right to do that? They don't own tennis, and what gives them the moral high ground to think that they are in charge of this wonderful game. Shameful. we got to get the marketeers out of there and the educators back in, John. Well, the bureaucracy is too big, and that's the problem. You said that. But you and I have discussed, you know, we both like history and everything, and as you know, a couple of years ago, I was not a fan of our current president, uh, but given looking at both sides of the issue, you know, you, you can become very, and I was one of those people that said, can we change? Have we, you know, do we have those forefathers that are willing to give their all for the country? Can things change? And you told me, you told me things are going to change. Things are going to change. Well, 
things have changed. So if we could change things in the whole nation, why can't we change it in tennis? We need Wayne Bryan to, I'm trying to get him to, he's probably the guy. He's got the track background. He's he's charismatic enough. He is a leader. He's smart. He cares a lot about this country's kids. And uh, I think he would be the guy. He, he might be the Donald Trump of tennis. We need a wrecking ball of uh, bureaucracies out there. And uh, I love what Javier said. Those 70% of the money needs to be going to the kids, not to the infrastructure. Right. And, uh, so we need to maybe carry that message. But we need everybody out there to stand up and speak out. Well, that's right. And we we have to think out of the box. One of the notes I do have for the third piece of my uh, part of that article, and uh, Jim Marks will forgive me, hopefully, because he should never give away till it gets published. But one of the things that I think we have to think outside the box, the high school tennis is a sleeping giant. I look at this next-generation tennis, I, I I see one thing different in there, and that's people getting fingerprinted and record checks. That's a great idea. But I don't see anything new in there. Hopefully I'm not just getting old. How how much money does that cost? I don't know. How about, want to think outside the box in the high school tennis, how about the USTA plays for a network? One of the problems of high school tennis is every state has their own rule. Every state has uh, plays at a different time. How about if they sit there and use their money for a television network, just like we do on Block Talk Radio, where people can listen in any time they want to your show. They don't have to listen live. And that the family that's working can watch their, the kids play certain areas. You can do that. Why not? High school well, tennis, you know, I know the I problem was say- football. They don't like the athletic directors don't like to have football on TV because then the audience ain't going to come. Well, nobody's coming to watch uh, tennis, and we don't charge. We're not revenue producing, and people, uh, the athletic directors, aren't going to make the investment. Maybe that's an investment the USTA makes. I'm just not convinced that as much as I love Chuck Greasy or Wayne Bryant or John Denise, uh, Ashley Hobson, who's made some great, great suggestions. I'm not sure that one individual is the thing. I think it's us as individuals, as tennis players, we owe this game something, and we got to come up with ideas. Well, Jim Martz, I want to shout out to him and say thank you for your loyal work for so many years. That is a fantastic. Bobby Curtis is the Jim Martz. You know, I mean, those are great, loyal tennis people that have done so much for the game but we need everybody to do their part that's it's uh everybody's got to be all in on this one or we're in trouble well i think you've lit a fire coach and i think that you know it's a slow burning because but because it's spreading slowly let's not give up on it and let's open up the conversation to everybody and let's not just put a taboo on an idea. Let's examine it and say, okay, well, how much does that cost and what's the value? Why is that going to help the uh, game of tennis? I think the problem is the USTA is like a government. It's one big bureaucracy. So now it's a process, and we're more concerned with the process. And the process is something that takes a long time, and it keeps changing. In business, where I come from, it's a – the product, you better have a product that better be good and you better be able to to sit there and produce it. And uh, that's why I think Donald Trump is doing things now is because he's a businessman. He's not interested in the process for five years. He's interested in the product. Our product is tennis and the tennis players. And selfishly for the high school, which I spent 20 years doing, we got how do we get high school tennis to sit there and support college tennis and how do we get college tennis to be that training ground that it was for 
the pros again. I, I I haven't given up on that. I feel very discouraged when I see it, but I I still think it's a possibility. It's in place. It's just not used. It's like a great old gym where the lights haven't been turned on for years, and it's there. It can happen, but you've got to have the energy and some people that see what can be instead of the difficulties that are there. And uh, so, you know, you're you're exactly right. You're exactly right on that one. So, but listen, get Javier on there. His five points were fantastic. He is smart, and folks, listen to him. He he knows what the heck he's talking about. Well, I appreciate that. Chuck, do me a favor. First, I want to thank you, not just for being on the broadcast, but I want to thank you for putting up with me for a lot of years, supporting, uh, being available. I just, you know, the resource that you have been for me, I appreciate. But I want you to tell the people how to get involved in our fight, because I, I do think, and I, I probably shouldn't use that word fight. It's not, it's not a fight we're trying to create. We're trying to wake up uh, the system, and we, we just owe this game too much to let it, uh, you know, take a – you take too many steps backwards, and it's hard to recover, you know. So tell the people uh, that I will share – I always share your broadcast, and I'll start sharing uh, – uh, what you call Randy's from now on, but tell the people besides going to your, my site how uh, they can get in touch with you, how they can be part of uh, trying to solve Go to Chuck the, Creasy, these issues. ChuckCreasy.net, ChuckCreasy.net, K-R-I-E-S-E dot net, and uh, shoot me an email. My email is ChuckCreasy at gmail dot com. Shoot me an email. I answer every one of them. It might not be right away, but within a few days, I'll get back to you. And uh, golly, guys, we need ideas, but we need committed people that will give what they can to this wonderful sport of tennis. And please protect the history and the heritage of it. Don't let them mess with the scoring system because in the end, we just have arena football. You know, we'll have arena tennis, and that's not going to last the hula hoop didn't last, and arena tennis won't last. Well, I agree with you, and, we, and pickleball is okay, but I'm still uh, I still think that's one of the things the USTA missed the boat on. So that's my own bias, and like I told you, you've heard my bias, uh, you've heard Chuck's bias. We want to hear you too. So you, you can either contact Chuck. Or you can contact me, Coach Denise, D-A-N-I-S-E, dot F-H-S-T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. I will be posting the um, broadcast. Uh, I hope you tell your friends about it. I hope you get them involved in it because it's our game. And, uh, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of somebody else. Hopefully you're not ready for retirement. I know I'm not. I'm, I have nothing against retirement. For some people, it's, it's good. I just always tell people, be careful what you wish for. It might not be what you expect. And um, I think, you know, we're strong enough for people to stand on our shoulders years from now. But that can only be done if we stand up and we speak out. And when I say speak out, no, let's not be vulgar. Let's not be too critical. Let's speak out, and I think the best way to speak is to listen. Let's listen to the other person. Let's not listen to sit there and make a correction there. Let's not listen to see where points that are obviously wrong. Let's listen to what they're saying and can something be done. Next week we have uh, Dr. John Murray on. Uh, he's a uh, Florida uh, sports psychologist and clinical psychologist. But the nice thing about uh, today and the changes is a lot of people do work right over the telephone. You can't play tennis over the telephone, but 
you can get help, and heaven knows we all need help. So have a blessed week. Tell your friends to sit there and join us. And, you know, Mighty Will and I will uh, be talking with you again next week. Take care now. Bye-bye.